Hello, and welcome to another edition of Across the States, the premier state policy podcast. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and joining us today are Carol Hollowell, Executive Director of Switchpoint Community Resource Center, and Andre Cushing of the American Legislative Exchange Council and the American City County Exchange. Carol Hallwell serves as the Executive Director of Switchpoint Community Resource Center, whose mission is to empower those in need by addressing the underlying cause of poverty, providing a comprehensive plan, and supporting their journey to self-sufficiency. Carol, Andre, welcome to Across the States. It's great to have you on. How are you guys doing today? Well, I'm doing great. I'm sitting here in uh, a building we're just about ready to open. I'm a little chilly because the heat's not on yet, but other than that, I'm fabulous. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And how about you, Andre? Doing well. Thank you, Matt. We appreciate uh, your joining us, Carol. Uh, looking forward to talking about an issue that is front and center to many of us in uh, local and county government. Indeed. This is an issue that touches on every single place in this country, rural, urban, suburban. It's one that's becoming an increasingly prevalent problem that needs the attention of lawmakers. So let's kick things off right away by discussing you, Carol. You serve as the executive director of Switchpoint. Tell us about what led you to this organization and the issue of homelessness, the issue of poverty. What inspired you to pursue this movement and pursue this organization? What led you to this cause? Well, I guess it uh, really started when I moved to Utah. I moved to Utah in 2009. My husband and I have four boys. Well, they're grown men now, but uh, in 2009, we had just gone through the absolute meltdown that many of us faced in the 2008 mortgage implosion. And we ended up losing everything and because uh, we were mortgage brokers and developers. And so we threw a dart at a map and moved to St. George, Utah. We had never heard of it, never been there, and just wanted somewhere we could start over and went to Utah. So when we got there, we were trying to reinvent ourselves. And I was working for Five County Association of Government as a volunteer director. And I really was searching for something that could give me purpose. And that really started my journey. And it turned into something that's probably become a monster, really. <laughs> but as it morphed into something, I really began as looking at individuals that were coming in and volunteering, and they were court-ordered. And they were court-ordered because they were sleeping in parks, they were publicly intoxicated, they had court-ordered service. And it was almost shocking how many were court-ordered in little St. George, Utah. And it really began my journey of really going, wow, you're court-ordered to do this service, and you only had one choice, which was to come to the volunteer center and so I was really reaching out to the city to say, hey, I think I can do something here. So that began my journey in starting Switchpoint Community Resource Center. So, Carol, let me ask you, was there one individual that kind of defined how you felt about this problem, the challenge that, that you were working on? Yeah, Andre, there really was. And, you know, Ray really was the, the catalyst of Switchpoint. And when we talk about the name even of Switchpoint. Ray was my Switchpoint. And I was driving to work one day and, you know, I'm a workaholic. Yes, my name is Carol. I'm a workaholic. <laughs> and Ray was uh, in a wheelchair and he was, he sleeps behind the, the library downtown. And it was about five o'clock in the morning and it was raining. And I just had this prompting to pull over and talk to Ray. And I said, you know, hi, I'm Carol. And what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm, I'm scooting over to the, to the grocery store. I got to warm up and get my coffee. And I'm like, well, 
just throw your stuff into my truck and I'll take you over there. And as I drove him over, you know, about six blocks to the grocery store, I really just felt like I needed to talk to him and find out why. Why are you homeless? What are you, what are you doing? And he says, I lost my wallet. And it hit me like a brick. Like, what the hell? You lost your wallet and that made you homeless? And he says, well, yeah, the DMV is 16 miles from here and there's no bus that gets to the DMV. I was like, oh, wow, I can solve this problem. So, you know, when when you're looking at, you know, the situation of what seems insurmountable to somebody who he had suffered a traumatic brain injury, I could solve the problem. And so he couldn't. It was overwhelming. So I called the two girls that worked for me and I said, we're on a mission and we're going to figure this thing out. And it took us seven and a half hours to get through the process, try and get him new ID, figure out how to find him housing, how to furnish that housing, how to get him signed up for services, how to kind of go through that entire process. And within seven and a half hours, we had him furnished, food stamps, you know, haircut and into housing. And I went, this is it. This is the model we're going to figure out, which is one-on-one advocating for somebody. And we became his switch point, which is at that point at where you can create change in someone's life and put them in a whole new direction. And that's when I went, ah, that's the name of a good business. And uh, City, I'm going to find a spot. You're going to help fund me and we're going to go do this. And Ray stayed in that place for five years before he actually died of a stroke. And he was really our spokesperson. Yeah. That's awesome. So a switch point, as I understand it, is a term from a railroad switch where you can change the direction by just swapping that direction of the train on the track. And that's basically the pivot point that you're embracing for your mission there at the services you provide. And let's talk a little bit about the services and how it evolved, because you didn't have a building before this, and you had a vision. And how did you come about finding that? Yeah, and it's funny because there's no trains in St. George. (laughs) So people go, well, how did you even come up with that? And I'm like, well, I didn't want any kind of a name that was already taken, you know, that was too carry or, you know, homey or, you know, I wanted something that was really impactful. And so we had this kind of brain trust. A lot of volunteers came together and, and when I was describing what that experience with Ray meant to me, somebody who had some train experience came up with that. And I was like, that is exactly what happened to me. That moment changed my life. And so, yeah, it was incredible. So you know, when you're right, we didn't have a building that meant anything because I was obviously working for um, a different agency. But when I went back to the city and said, I just feel like we need to do this, we were able to then find the building that we're at now and use some community development block grant money, purchase that building. And then from then on, just kept building upon the model. And one of the things I love about the communities that we've now expanded into, but more importantly about my board, is that we have been able to build on and add on services. So when you asked about what are the services we provide, we have added on a food pantry that serves all of Washington County. And really it's for anybody that's in a food crisis that they might need it one time, they might need it every week. But then we added on rental assistance. 
So if they need it for one time, they might need it every month. They might need it to get connected to veteran rental assistance, or they might need it for senior rental assistance or Section 8. So we can connect them to all kinds of services. We teach classes. We teach 17 classes a week. The only thing that shut us down during it was in COVID when we couldn't teach classes. But we really look at the gaps that are in the community and say, what is it that's keeping somebody in poverty, which then poverty can lead to homelessness or poverty can lead to all kinds of things, addiction, you know, criminal behaviors, or they get out of incarceration and then they can't get into housing because of their backgrounds. And so we're trying to look at those gaps or those barriers and help them overcome them, right? So then we went, hmm, employment is a huge issue when they are struggling with these other barriers. So then we started adding on micro enterprises. So we added on thrift stores and and doggy daycare businesses and small engine repair businesses. And so we really started looking at what are all these issues and then let's just create it. And my board was very, very supportive in adding these other things on. So as I understand it, Carol, if people come to stay in the, the shelter rooms you have there, You've got case managers, so they help them overcome some of those hurdles that they are dealing with in their life or, you know, just giving them direction. And then on top of that, you require them to participate in some level of work and training so that they can pay for themselves. So maybe you can weave in to your story a little bit of that, if you mind. Oh, Yeah. You know, I raised four boys, and if you've ever had, well, Matthew, you're a boy. Indeed. If I had been your mom, <laughs> I would have said, okay, um, you know, we, we really had to implement a lot of allowance, right? So you do chores. Of course. And we had right. a lot of accountability. <laughs> so I implemented the same thing. And so SwitchPoint created our own economy, which is very unusual for a nonprofit and especially for a homeless shelter. And so we call it SwitchBucks. So when you arrive, at any of our facilities, you are accountable for your actions and and your participation in the program. So if you are there, you're expected to participate in your success. And so that means you're going to meet with your case manager every week and you're going to participate in your success and in your planning of your action plan. I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. You're going to sit down and you're going to say, yes, I am going to apply four jobs this week, or I'm going to re-enroll in school, or I'm going to meet with my parole officer, or you're helping in that plan. But you're also going to participate in working in our garden or helping clean. And so everything that you do from case management to helping clean, you earn your switch bucks. And so we pay them at $10 an hour in that monopoly money, that, that switch buck money. And you can redeem those for a bus pass a bike, deodorant, you know, clothes. And so it gives value to people's time, which is something that's really lacking, right? So we take away the entitlement and give somebody the empowerment, which is really important to somebody who's been down and out. And we've seen it just really change the mindset and the behavior that has kind of throttled some of our homeless friends, right? And they have become actually some of my best employees. And some of them have, you know, we brought them on as full-time staff. And once they've moved into their own housing, they're still, you know, some of them have been with me now for six years 
and they're full-time SwitchPoint staff. And they're awesome because they're loyal and they're so grateful for their second chance at life. And so I love that about our model, right? That we believe in the second chances, but we're actually empowering these people to move on, right? It's the whole Jean Valjean story, right? I just, I love that part of it. So Carol, I visited the food bank and toured the facility when I was in St. George. Linda, your development director was wonderful. And she obviously has enthusiasm. We visited one of the shelter rooms and met a lady that was there. Her two daughters live with her. She had a really compelling story that showed, I think, what you did with Ray, just finding a way to help people get out of the circumstances that they're facing. Can you talk with us a little bit about what other steps that you take with these people that are coming through your centers to get them connected in the community and what the community has done to respond to your programs? Sure. What I really appreciate about working with our community is we have built up, I wouldn't call it the reputation, but it it is of being able to collaborate and to partner up with multiple agencies and multiple partnerships that we can pick up the phone and say, hey, I've got you know, a family or, you know, a guy or a gal who has this kind of skill set, would you hire them um, and teach them how to lay carpet? Yeah. Would you teach them how to, you know, be a cashier at your store? Yes. And so we're able to do a lot of placement within, you know, employment. We've been able to get people, you know, back into school or into college just with a phone call. That means a lot because we can move people faster just based off of the ability to partner and have the trust to say, we're going to get them up in the morning and we're going to make sure that we're advocating and cheerleading this client and making sure that the client knows that we, you know, are expecting them to follow through. So that's one thing, right? Andre is we're connecting to the client, but we're also, you know, holding them accountable to whoever we're partnering up with. The other thing, you know, especially in this client's case is we're hoping that the client knows that we're not expecting them to always take the lowest paying dead end job at $7 an hour. We're saying, hey, did you also know that there's something that you can make $14 an hour? Let's try and get you connected to your highest capability. We're not expecting you to take, you know, here, if there's an opening and we can double your pay or we can get you into something better, we're always watching out for you. We've got your back. It's not a handout, right? But we're also advocating for you to maximize your time and help you down the road. And so once the client hears that and understands that, they start to really pick up their chin and start to work even harder. I think that that's where the success comes from because a lot of times they're so beaten down that they give up, right? And yet when they start to feel like somebody's been in their corner and they feel a little bit of success, now, man, it's doubled down and they start to work even harder. So, Carol, you've identified in the case of of a lot of the single parent families that come through there, one of their challenges is making sure their children are safe and taken care of. Talk a little bit about the program that you've developed with the model day care and how that's starting to evolve. Oh, I'm so excited about our daycare. Yeah, it you know, it's about three years in the making. We were sitting at one of our big agency collaborating meetings and it was called an intergenerational poverty committee. And 
there's like 23 agencies and, and we were just going around and around about gaps, gaps in the community, gaps that were keeping families in poverty. And one of the number one was lack of affordable, accessible childcare. And finally, I'm like, well, why isn't anyone doing it? I don't know. Fine. We'll, we'll build a 24-7 childcare center. <laughs> and so we did a pitch. I did a pitch to a community foundation of Utah. It's like a little baby shark tank. We won. And so we're under construction and we'll open in April with the first ever in Utah 24-7 child care center that is focused around the non-traditional, you know, jobs. Those that are working weekends, late nights, those non-traditional hours jobs. And I'm so excited for it because, you know, we have room to do 275 kids a day and you won't believe the response that we're getting. And I'm sure we'll be full the day we're open. And uh, this ability to take these families, especially these single parents, and be able to say, it's okay that you're working the restaurant until 1 a.m. No, no problem. Just pick up the kid when you're done. And they're going, whew, I can take that good paying job. Or it's okay that you've got to work weekends at the family dollar distribution. Go ahead and take the $16 an hour job with the benefits. We got gotcha. you. We got your back. Those are key. That's so key when you're looking at right now employers that have to be really flexible themselves. And if we're flexible on our end, we're going to win every time in helping these families. We were seeing these families having to survive and telling the eight-year-old that they're the primary caregiver. That does not work. You see disaster happening when they're in charge of the four-year-old and the two-year-old. It doesn't work. And then what happens is they end up losing their job because something's going to go wrong. So we're really excited about that. We're going to open another one, a 24-7 in Twila, you know, and that'll be opened next December. And so, you know, we'll we'll do one from now on in every one of our facilities because it's so needed. It's just That's so awesome. needed. And this is a blend of folks that are working through your program and you're also offering some market rates. So you're balancing out the revenues. And I know there's another facility that you worked on to meet the substance abuse needs. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that's been able to do? Yeah, you bet. You know, again, looking at all the gaps that happen, one of the big gaps, you know, in, in poverty and homelessness was, you know, you, you end up, having an addiction issue. And in substance use, if you want treatment, what's usually available to you is if you have private insurance or private pay. And it's very, very expensive. It's five to $10,000 a month. And um, there was nothing that was available for uninsured or Medicaid only. And so we decided to open our own. And in order to do that, we needed to find a very large facility. And in Utah, there's a group called the polygamists and they would build very large homes. And so it had 19 bedrooms and 14 baths. And so we bought it. It's, it's in Hildale, Utah, and it w- it worked out perfectly. And so we can have up to 42 men in this house. So we, we opened that up in uh, January of 2020. And it really focuses on those men that have suffered from the addiction and they get released from jail or they're court ordered. The judge is ordering them to attend a treatment center and it's right now the only one that focuses on Medicaid or they have none at all. And, and because they were homeless, we can, what's called TAM, so Targeted Adult Medicaid, we, we signed them up 
vouching for them as homeless. And so then we signed them up for Medicaid. To me, it is very satisfying, you know, to be able to say, we have been able to fill a gap for these men who have have struggled over and over again, and they finally have a way to seek treatment when they haven't had a chance before. And if we have been able to give them some sobriety and now that helps them get out of homelessness and, and they can finally rebuild some relationships and have their life back, it's worth every penny. That's wonderful. And you've taken it a step further. You've expanded into Salt Lake. Tell us about the new facility you're sitting in and what that's going to offer. She's working uh, on it right now, Andre. We yeah, we have to, I cleaned right up the construction site. Uh, yeah. We barge into the construction site uninvited. But <laughs> I know. So, And the cool thing is, is we just passed our inspection. So we'll be opening Monday. So I've got 48 hours left to get it all done. Yeah. So we came up here um, last December in, when I say up here, into Salt Lake to um, open up a winter overflow. And it was a... Uh, older hotel that had been shut down during the COVID era. And so we operated a winter overflow shelter and we went, hmm, this is a pretty good hotel that could be renovated into studio apartments. And one of the things I had really observed and it really hit my heart was how many of our homeless that were in the overflow were seniors and veterans. And they had actually been homeless because they'd been priced out of the market. And it just really makes me sick. We've just done such a disservice, you know, as, as a country. I don't understand it, how we've, we've just kind of gone astray, if you will, on there's no deeply affordable housing anymore. And I've sat next to these men who have served, and I have an 88-year-old man that's moving in Monday And he's like, I've never been homeless in my life. And this year was his first year and he's been priced out. And it's humbling to him, but more so he wanted to commit suicide this year because he just didn't want to live on the street and he's embarrassed. Yeah. These are folks who they made a commitment to serve our country in various positions and theaters. And now we've kind of turned our back. So thank you for that and for the senior population. I mean, we think. Well, how can this possibly happen? But as you're seeing across the country, there are many people that are dealing with these struggles and there aren't enough carols and switch points yet to to serve. So you're offering about, it's a subsidized or a fixed rate. Yeah, it's not subsidized because, you know, um, there's no vouchers. We just, because we were able to raise enough funds that there's no mortgage, we just flat $450 a month rent for each person. And that's what each of them can pay off their social security or their veterans pension. And that's what it is. And so they're pretty excited about moving in. So I want to figure out how to do, you know, thousands of them. So hang on to your hat. Sure. (laughs) There's a lot of cities that are dealing with the tragedy of homelessness. And a lot of these people have the issues that you're talking about. They're not bad people. They're just under circumstances they don't know how to deal with. We touched briefly here on, you know, revenues. You've got an interesting model where many shelters or agencies are fully dependent or significantly dependent upon government funds. Talk a little bit about how things work in 
in SwitchPoint and your funding mechanism? Yeah, we feel strongly on not being fully rel- reliant on you know federal and and state dollars, which is why we open up you know micro industries as many as we can. As an example, in this facility that's going to serve veterans and seniors, our micro enterprise is going to be called Muffin Tops. So we're going to have a bakery in it. And we already have a vendor who's going to buy 2,000 muffins a day. And so we have already some of our seniors who are raising their hands saying, I'll be a baker. And that, you know, formula, which is usually we're 24% state federal and then 76% micro enterprise and donation. To me, that's the magic sauce of saying, be as self-reliant as you can. And it speaks volumes to our community when we can walk the talk. And it helps us also to be able to say, we can put our own people to work, right? And without any strings attached, I can determine who I can employ. So I can overlook the backgrounds and I can overlook some of the stigma, if you will, because if we own the business, we can employ them. And, you know, it's important for me to not have to be so reliant on taxpayer dollars. Well, as you, I'm sure, are well aware, make sure that there's not an endpoint where you fall off a cliff because the funding disappears. So that's right. You know, I really commend you on that. Matt, I know we're coming up on uh, the wrap. Why don't you uh, bring us home with any questions you have and, uh, and maybe find out from Carol how folks could get some more information? Absolutely. Well, Carol, it's incredibly inspiring listening to you and the work that SwitchPoint does for those in our society who are struggling. You guys are doing the work of angels right now. For all our listeners who are tuning in today, how can they get involved with SwitchPoint or other efforts in their communities to help those who are homeless, those who need a hand up to get back on their feet? Well, if you want to get involved with SwitchPoint, you can go to switchpointcrc.org and uh, look at our website and Certainly, you can make us a donation, (laughs) click the donation button, but we have some great stories on there. And uh, like Andre was saying, there's lots of good. And when you read those stories and look at our library of of stories, it will give you ideas of what you can do in your own community. I've actually visited a lot of communities around the country and and shared our model and helped other communities, you know, kind of... uh, duplicate that model because I think it's important for us to, you know, think outside of that box and to really start doing something different. So that's my recommendation is, is we have to think outside of the box and we cannot keep doing the same thing that's been done before because it's not working. You know, it's, it's just not working. Absolutely. Well, Carol, it's been an honor to have you on. Thank you for joining us here and across the States. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thanks for having me. And Andre, thank you for being on the show today. I enjoy the rest of your weekend. Are you in Maine this right now or are you somewhere else? I am getting ready for the, the holidays. So thank you, Matt, for this. Carol, we appreciate it and look forward if you will grant us permission to posting a link to your website when we send this podcast out and providing folks a chance to hear some of those amazing stories and stay in touch with what you're doing. So absolutely. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you both so much. And thank you to listeners for tuning in to another episode of Across the States. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. And be sure to tune in next time for more of the premier state policy podcast. 
Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 